Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fenton Lives With. This is a podcast about Fenton and the people that they live with. This podcast I did with Rebecca Rennick. Rebecca is a lovely human who went to my college. It's where we met. And I went up to stay with Rebecca where they live now in Greenfield, Massachusetts during Pride. So this was actually recorded back in June. I just had a bit of a delay with uh, finishing it. It's been a busy summer. Yeah, I don't I don't actually have my uh, usual intro music and all, all of that and usual sound quality because I am currently on the road. I am in London, so maybe more on that in a future episode. But for now, I'd love for you to just enjoy this episode with Rebecca. Here we go. Testing, 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 testing. Okay, everybody, welcome, welcome. We are here. Rebecca and Renick and I are in a vehicle (laughs) that is Rebecca's car. Kia Soul, beautiful green color. <laughs> We're driving through a beautiful green landscape here of Western Massachusetts into New York for a all day journey to Chicago because we are going there on our way to Grinnell, Iowa, which is actually where we met. And we're going for our young alumni reunion it's it'll be just about five years since we graduated which is wild 2017 to be able to see everybody and reconnect and all that in uh in the cornfields in the sweaty ass cornfields it'll be hot as fuck so i wanted to start first if you could just introduce yourself however you'd like and then i want to I want to talk about like how if you do remember how we met my name is Rebecca I use they them pronouns and I think we met when I started hanging out with Ollie and Claudia and Ella um, kind of late first semester of first year yeah yes our mutual friends we are all now very in touch with and yeah I don't I can't remember an exact moment because I think it was just sort of like yeah we all just sort of grouped together and parties and whatever we were doing around that time (laughs) so yeah that sounds about right though yeah I feel like it was it was interesting because Ollie and I met in our gender studies class and Ollie was like yeah like you should join like you should hang out with me and this friend group and I remember distinctly an argument happening the end of that semester where Claudia, where I was in Claudia's room and we were all there and Claudia's like, well, like Rebecca isn't really like in the group yet, (laughs) which is like such a classic Claudia, like I'm going to distinct, like make a distinction, like you have not completely been yet welcomed into the fold, but I did eventually, I did eventually get accepted as a member of the friend group, it's great. Yes, incredible. But this is Claudia Handel, by the way, who has been featured not once, but twice on this <laughs> podcast in two episodes. Yeah. So. Um, seems to be the common link in a lot of my conversations honestly with Grinnell people um Claudia's a glue friend yeah yeah just one of those people that like is kind of enmeshed in like so many different circles and then like brings people together which is great yeah exactly I want to talk about like some of the things you got up to while at Grinnell because you had your uh, fingers in a lot of different things like everyone did everyone definitely did but do you have anything you are thinking about now as we are returning I think I struggled at Grinnell a lot to negotiate 
my own identity and values with like the institutional identity and values of like I'm going back to school for art history and I had kind of written art history off by the time that I left Grinnell because I had such an I felt very separate from a lot of my peers in that space but like I think the things that I or the reason I'm going back to Grinnell or the reason that I feel very comfortable being like oh I'm I love Grinnell like I love Iowa I love being in the sweaty ass cornfields um because the community spaces that I got to participate in were really rich and like working at Bob's and like working at the student ceramics studio and like doing go-go with Ollie and being on the SEPC, like all of those community spaces were really positive for me. And so like going back feels like a reflection of community, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And that, that type of participation. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to return. Yay. Yeah, me too. I, that, there is there's so much that place holds for me. There's so many stressful moments, but also so many lows and highs, you know, all, all up and down the board. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how it was. It was just very intense. People, you and myself included, like keep coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, this, but that pull, it, it just, there, were, there was just the space to just try a lot of things and not have to do them all perfectly. And I mean, definitely wasn't because I was, basically just doing the minimum to get by in each class but it was all the stuff outside of class and like all the super motivated interesting energized people from all different places which like made it very cool and just like how there wasn't really an escape since it wasn't in a city you were just sort of you were in there you were gonna see the same people you were gonna you know, you had to, you had to deal with them. <laughs> there was no escaping this, this, this small community. So you really had to work on, yeah, getting along with people. Yeah. Just, I, w- I was reflecting the other day about those like awkward moments where there would be people that you were trying to avoid on campus or like not ideal for you to see them anyways and there's like that weird like I'm not going to acknowledge you but again we are on a campus of like 1600 people probably like 1200 actually on campus and there's just no avoid like there's no avoiding people like you're gonna be in the same classes you're gonna at least be in the JRC seeing each other (sighs) yeah especially if you loiter yes I know I was just thinking like we're gonna have some meals in our one dining hall as part of this reunion and i just like it gets me a little nervous because it's like you know you you don't know who you're gonna see is it sometimes was like i was like just trying to eat and not talk to anybody but there all be there was always someone in there just like trying to you know talk to you it's once you had been there for a while so it's like you know that'll be a funny environment to be back in i think exciting though yeah 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 good uh can you talk to me about some of the stuff you were doing with like sexual health and the um getting the tampons in there because i think that's really interesting story i'll let you you tell it how you want so my third year of college uh i had just come back to grinnell after taking a semester at smith And when I was at Smith, I had gotten into teaching about like alternative menstrual products because like 
you know, that's like, a, that's a lane that people go down is just like, let's talk about sponges and like <laughs> menstrual cups and what have you. And I got back to Grinnell and there was like a day I lived in Gates. No, that was fourth year. Where did I live? I lived still far from campus and no, that was Gates Tower. Okay. I lived in Gates Tower, which was up four flights of stairs. I had a class in like 10 minutes. I got my period unexpectedly. I didn't have a tampon. I did have some bobby pins at the very bottom of my bag. And so as a child, I was obsessed with like picking locks. And so I had like some basis of knowledge and how to pick a very basic lock. Um, and so I picked a lock on a tampon dispenser, got out a tampon and I was just kind of like, okay, uh, what if I just take these out? Like, I'm not gonna damage the machine. I'm just gonna take out the menstrual products. And then I did one machine and then I told Simone about it. And Simone was like, why don't we just go around and do that? And so instead of going class, <laughs> I skipped class and broke into all the tampon dispensers around campus while Simone watched for a couple of them. Um, and I want to like also say that I genuinely like I did not damage the machines. I like really have a mindfulness or was trying to have a mindfulness for, uh, for like the people who take care of these spaces. Um, but it is just like dumb. Like if you're someone who bleeds, you have known just this, the stress of not having like a quarter to like get a tampon out of a dispenser. And also that I was very poor at the time. Like I think I had $7 in my bank account. So like buying anything at that point in time was just like a non-option. So yeah, I did that and then I got in a little bit of trouble and then there was some criticism of my approach and like some feedback from the administration and- well, So how did you, how did you get in trouble? Did you like say that you had done this to somebody? Well, it was listed as a campus crime. There was like a report that went out that was like, this happened, it's a campus crime. Okay. And I was just basically like, you know, the stakes were high-ish for me at Grinnell in that like I was on a scholarship and like didn't have a lot of money, like lived at Grinnell every year because I didn't have anywhere else to go really. So it was my housing, it was my food, it was my work, quote unquote. Um, so I, you know, didn't really want to like cause too many problems so there was two hands of like wanting to just like be upfront about it and also feeling like I didn't really do anything wrong like that was also something that I felt connected to is just like you barely stock these fucking machines like let's be honest like most of the time there's like five tampons in each of them so like how much money are you really making or losing yeah. in this um, and so I wrote a letter to the president of the college at the time Renard Kington. Yeah, it was just like, I did this, I don't think it's wrong. And then I wrote like a little inflammatory article about it for the gum. Yeah. And then it became a, a bigger thing. Yeah. There you go. So you got, you got reprimanded and then what happened? Um, I got reprimanded and then they still decided to move forward with making menstrual products free. I do know from reports on campus, they are still not great about maintaining the machines, but that is like a classic problem yeah. that 
is true at all places that try to do free menstrual product initiatives, like actually maintaining those programs is a logistical and financial commitment. And a lot of people just don't care about tampons, let's be honest. Yes. Um, and so the campus SGA or student government president worked with me and for a little bit, but then mostly worked with the administration to like move the initiative forward. And, you know, there was a lot of like, you should have done it in another way. And it's like, yeah, but anytime you make any requests through that system, the reality is, is that they're going to like die at the bottom of a pile of papers. Mm -hmm. So you do something that makes people accountable. Like yeah. you do something visual that people remember. You yeah. like commit an act because you have to respond to it. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like you may not agree with like, you know, breaking into some tampon dispensers, which whatever, <laughs> just big whatever. But it's it's based in a thing that most people can agree is true, which is that like people deserve to have access to hygiene resources. Right. And and this is at a college that prides itself in social justice. So it's not like this sort of action was um, totally coming out of nowhere because yeah. Also, while we were at Grinnell, there was a, a, a movement to divest from fossil fuels. And a lot of that involved, like, the college was not really paying attention to it. So they had to escalate their strategy and, like, camp out in the president's office over one weekend in order for them to pay attention to it. And then there was, yeah, there was a lot. There was yeah. a lot happening while we were there in terms and, of social movements. And also, like, the thing that's always gotten me about the administrative side of Grinnell is that they claim a really, really, really rich history of social justice activism and activists. Like, they claim their work and, like, pride themselves on it when consistently when those people were active at Grinnell, the administrative side of it was not supporting them and was pushing back against them. So it's like now you get to say like people like Bonnie Tinker, who was who founded like the first domestic violence shelter in the United States, who was not granted a graduation, like was not allowed to graduate from Grinnell, um, still went on to get a master's degree and nice master's program, which is like, well, fuck them. But, uh, you know, they get to they get to claim that history and that connection. But while simultaneously like, you know, not always being the most supportive of student action on campus. And I do think that we are coming from a slightly different generation of Grinnell students too. Like, I don't wanna speak to like what the vibe is right at this moment, right. but it's right. also classic institutional yeah. bullshit to shut down student activism. Tell me a bit about your your work now, because it's sort of along the same lines, or what you the job you were just doing, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm about to leave my job to go back to school, but for the last like three and a half four years, I've been um, a sexual and reproductive health outreach coordinator for a uh, community based uh, kind of resource organization called Tapestry. Um, and we have a sexual and reproductive health clinic branch. We have a harm reductive syringe access program. And then we have a WIC nutrition support program, which WIC is food for children under five. Um, and I've worked teaching sex ed in three counties in Western Massachusetts. Um, and yeah, I've just 
basically tried to help connect youth with accessible resources. We're a Title X clinic, which means that we can provide services to people under 18 without parental consent. And there's like a pool of money that we can use so that we don't have to go through insurance providers. Um, so it's a basically a, a big part of making sex resources available to teenagers and young college students. Fantastic. And so you're wrapping that up now is like, what, can you tell me like your, your rationale for wanting to move on to something else? Um, I think something that happens for a lot of people who are doing outreach work is you, you kind of burn out a little bit of it. I know I have, I know a lot of people that like move up in their organizations and end up in kind of different capacities. Um, that aren't strenuous in the way that outreach is, but outreach is exhausting. Um, it's really, really meaningful, but it's like, imagine that you are spending, you know, you have an eight hour day and you're spending five of those hours holding emotional space for adolescents around sex and relationships. And you're also being a trans person out in the world in front of people and really having to kind of yeah like let go of things like pronouns sometimes even when students are good about it it's like mostly administrators that are bad about it it's just a lot it's it's being on in a very specific way and i think that i'm ready to move on and there's also no opportunities at my work for me to move up um it's a one person department yeah. <laughs> me <laughs> oh my god so <laughs> Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Wow. Um, I wanted to share that yesterday there was a pride parade. It was a cute little pride parade in, what's the name of the town? Green? Greenfield. Greenfield. <laughs> I was like, where were we? Uh, in Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, where Rebecca lives. And you were saying that you're like, oh, I'm definitely going to recognize people. And then sure enough, you did recognize a lot of the students there because it's sort of that small community vibe. Um, yeah. I found that really fascinating. But also it's so cool to see how many little queer kids there were and queer elders that out there supporting it. I was like, damn, this Pride Parade is actually pretty large for for a very rural region, yeah, which is a, cool. It's a town of like 19,000, I think. <laughs> So, you know, like that's, it was not a bad turnout for a town yeah. of 19,000. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is really nice to, it matters that kids see queer people talking to them about sex. Yeah. Um, like I feel like how much or so much of like my queer sexuality is something that I had to figure out because even like the very minimal sex education I received was like very straight and very like, penis and vagina sex is the only sex we're talking about which is already just a disservice to humanity <laughs> yeah i remember ours was like they would show us just scary pictures of stis and like oh god we had to do it like it was combined with like also like uh a anti-drug curriculum oh, yeah. was thrown oh, in the yeah. mix there and so we had to make presentations on like uh i remember making a video with friends about like what to do if you got on a heroin overdose i'm like this is not an experience like any of the people i know are gonna have or have had i'm like it's just like all this stuff to scare you basically yeah. that you know drugs are bad sex is dangerous you know there's so many risks involved and like i wasn't having sex in high school but um 
plenty of other people were and you know they knew i think they knew how to protect themselves but they could have been educated in in like the way you're describing like a more positive way of here's how to use a condom or something like that you know yeah well and also like every time i every time i start my like safer sex talk at schools i ask my students and it's usually 10th graders that are getting this like that's kind of when the very practical elements of how to practice safe sex are taught in schools usually, um, ninth or 10th. And I asked them, why do people have sex? And there is a lot of like, oh, you know, to have babies. And then I asked them the question, like, is like creating a fetus even possible with the most of the types of sex people have? And the answer is no, because a lot of people are actively not trying to procreate or it isn't possible for them to procreate when they are having sex. And so we talk about like, why do people have sex then? And pleasure is the kind of big one because it feels good. But also we do talk about sex work. We do talk about like people also have sex or engage sexually for money. And like we parse out the the kind of feelings about that a little bit and it is always a conclusion of like oh sex work is work and like it's a valid thing like um which you know I've gotten in trouble for before but it it feels worth it most of the time I can talk down a parent from a lot of ledges at this point so I'm just gonna say what I want and you know sex is political so absolutely might as well be political when you talk about it Yes. Um, I, I liked what you were telling me yesterday, if you don't mind sharing about the um, the work you were doing with the jail, the, the county sheriff and jail. Yeah. Uh, so I ran a series um, for like two years with a co-worker. We had co-facilitators for this group. It was a lot of like diverse age population, which was really different for me. I work with a lot of teenagers. This was mostly like young adult women and like women in their 50s and 60s and I started doing a four-week series on like basics of sex ed and talking about pleasure and talking about sex and like a lot of the people who are in these spaces are not necessarily relating to sex in the same way that like I have had the privilege of relating to sex for a lot of my life not always but like much of my life and also that like there's a number of them that are in there for sex work offenses or drug use and there's a lot of like judgment around the ways that those communities engage with and participate in sex um so i think that like in those groups it's been really important for me to like try and function as like an access point or someone who can be an access point for more information, but like ultimately it's, a lot of those people know how to have sex. A lot of those people know relatively what they like. And like, we can talk about vibrators and like uh, whatever gross, weird shit that comes up around sex. It's all on the table, but then it's kind of like having those like attitude and emotional conversations. Also talking about like having sexuality and possessing sexuality as as people too, that like older women get a lot of diminishment of their capacities to be sexual or even talking about sex for people in that age group. And funnily enough, elderly people are also one of the most at-risk demographics for sexually transmitted infections. 
because they're not worried about pregnancy. So they're like not using condoms and they're in those senior centers getting jiggy with it. And you know, like they can get gonorrhea too. <laughs> Uh, never really thought about that, but it makes perfect sense. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Sexually active senior living communities, very common. Also places I've done, I've done classes. I try to practice ethical non-monogamy, you know, getting to actually a place where I can say that I feel like I'm practicing non-monogamy ethically has been a process and is also something that's kind of always under review. But I am not necessarily structure strict. Um, I've dated a lot of people in a lot of different structures and I've, and I've primarily dated people who are more in established lives and relationships than otherwise which yeah so I'm I'm polyamorous I my kind of hard line is that I don't desire to be sexually monogamous with people um, because I need variety in my life I agree I feel very much the same and I'm wondering like how you how do you how do you share that with people do you find you're like when you're bringing people into your life either like sexually or romantically do you are these people who have a lot of experience with polyamory or are these people some people are new to it and you have to sort of explain and like really talk to through things like how, how have you approached that um i mean i think we're fortunately at a point in like the region that i live in where like a lot of people understand what non-monogamy or polyamory are in like kind of a baseline I'm not going to say that everyone has a positive view of them I think polyamory can be really really messy people I've dated have no experience being poly but are like open to it um, and those can be more challenging in some ways and then you know I'm currently seeing someone who's been in some sort of like non-monogamous situation for like 14 plus years and has a lot of experience and you know like there's it feels very different but there's also other challenges to like coming into an established space like that yeah i think for me it's like <clears throat> i i haven't i haven't per se found very many people who are experienced with that honestly i had a better i had a better um what's it called better selection at grinnell because <laughs> yeah. i think like it was sort of maybe not the norm, but people were more open to just different types of relationships and yeah. exploring things in different ways. And like a lot of people are taking, you know, gender, sexuality classes and sociology and all that. And yeah, just being curious. And that's sort of the environment that that's brought, but it's been harder for me in other places I've lived, even in cities to find those people who know, yeah, who, who ha at least have some, you know, desire or understanding on like how to go about these sort of relationships where like, I feel like I'm often, um, often at odds with the other person, like having to explain my desires more so. And they're like leaning more towards wanting just to be exclusive. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to do that. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ex exclusivity. I think that there was a moment in time, like my first few times, like, like, I should be transparent that I 
I have cheated on people and I also have been cheated on mm-hmm. and I also have been the person people cheat with. Mm. I wow. yeah. Everything. I really <laughs> multiple times also. I okay. wish that I had like a moral high ground to stand on. I absolutely do not. Oh my god. Um also, we're passing into New York now. Yay. <laughs> first Welcome. first uh, new state on this yeah. journey. <laughs> yeah, finally out of the tiny, tiny state of Massachusetts. Um, yeah. yeah, so I've, I've not practiced relationships ethically all of the time. And I think that's something that I resonated with for me and something that I had to let go of in the process of like learning to be okay with myself after doing suspect things was kind of like, all right, you don't really like being possessed. That freaks you out. Yeah. I really don't. I really don't like that. I think control is really scary for me and feeling like I don't have the ability to like act on my own agency feels really uncomfortable for me. Um, And then also when I could accept that for myself, that that felt important, then it was kind of like, all right, you also get jealous and angry when people do shit like this to you. And you're still lashing out at people when they're, you know, not wanting to be possessed, even if it's not explicitly talked about. And, or because they, you know, violated an agreement, like what, whatever it is. Um, And then that became the process of like, learning to let go of a desire to possess others and a desire to control other people. Um, And now I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about my ability to just be like, where is this feeling coming from and what do I want to do with it? Um, But it is really challenging. It like, it really does require you to like reprogram your brain because you absolutely have been programmed around how you're supposed to feel about these indiscretions and about boundary violations, specifically around sexual and romantic relationships. Right. That's so, that's so real. Yeah. And you do, it just, just sort of comes with experience, just like learning and, and talking it through and. Yeah, I like, I like what you said about possession. I feel like I sort of went through a similar thing where, like, I realized that I didn't I didn't want that monogamy. The, the feeling of possession that often comes with monogamy, um, especially when you're seeing someone, like, all the time, <laughs> and you just, like, don't feel like you have the space. Like, I've been in couple codependent relationships, and, like learning about that and talking to someone who had gone through AA and like you could recognize that um, you know the same sort of dependency thing that you get with like a substance basically and like learning from them like oh that that's what that was like was really helpful and I think like I it sort of changed the way I approach my relationships including with friends too because friend friend relationships can also sometimes just feel a little bit overbearing and codependent at times so um yeah just like being open and talking with people more about that is definitely something you get with experience (laughs) and it's never gonna be perfect you just have to be okay with that so i think that's a good philosophy yeah i think relationships i think we don't like to think of we like to put them in a in boxes of like how is this going to exist for me we don't like the unknown that comes with like i'm gonna allow allow someone the space to be 
the fullest version of themselves, including some mess sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not going to make it about me. Yeah. And it's really hard. It's really hard because we all have our shit. We all have our history. We all have our, you know, traumatic relationships with attachment. But it feels really good to get to a point. Like a lot of days I wake up now and I'm like, wow, I'm, I feel glad that I don't feel the same level of anxiety or avoidance, disorganized, very much disorganized feelings from me. But like, I don't feel those things when I wake up and think about my relationships anymore. And that is a huge weight to, to not feel anymore. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Wow. That was a deep dive. I love that. I love talking about this stuff and it's been a while since I've been able to. So thank you for sharing uh, all of that. Great. Yeah. Great chat. Yeah. Relation stuff. Um, is there, is there anything else you want to put on the record here for the friends, for your future (laughs) self here, you know, where you're at in life? Just, uh, yeah. Lay it out. Um, Well, I guess to like full circle this conversation back to the friend group that we're both enmeshed in, I think that like they are the people ultimately that I have learned the most about relationships from um, and that our relationships have been through the most transformations. Like I think about where we started and like not officially being in the friend group and then like being being so close with these people for all of college which is hard to do like it is hard to maintain a kind of concrete friend group through college and out of college and it's because we've kind of like it really does feel like they are the people in this world that like take me as I am and are willing to call me on my bullshit and but do so in a way that's like I still affirm that I care about you um And so I think it just, like, shows me a lot about how much friendship and the intimacy that can happen in friendship can teach you outside of, like, romantic or sexual relationships. I think we put a lot of pressure on those relationships as where we learn. But uh, friends, friends are it. They're, like, unparalleled. That's so true. And, And you'll know that, like, I... I can I can sort of say the same about like yeah just like calling out um, behavior and things like that in terms of, if you listen to my podcast with Claudia or Simone you'll know that we discussed that sort of thing of just like times when I didn't realize I was bothering someone and they like let me know about that and that's the sort of friend that you need is someone who's not afraid to just tell you when when something you're doing is not like the best thing to be doing. So (laughs) yeah, we'll just say it like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also that like on the other side of it, like, I just feel like I have an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of faith in the ability of my friends to see me through things. And that is a very secure attachment feeling to have to people in this world of it's just like they can they can do a lot of things they can do a literally a many many things i'm not going to say it's unconditional because i don't actually believe love should be unconditional but yeah. it is a, a deeply accepting love um 
that I feel like we have for each other. And yeah, like I think, I think a lot, Ollie won't be here this, this week, but I think a lot about all the stuff that went down in that relationship because we were so fiercely close to each other and having something bad happen, having us have like a friend disillusionment or whatever, and then coming back to each other, that that is like actually a very special type of love and care for another person is experiencing like harm (laughs) with someone or being someone who does harm and then being like, we're gonna work on this. Yeah, like not just giving up on someone because of that, like, yeah, Yeah. recognizing that they can change, yeah. And that like the bullshit is not, like, is not the ultimate read on someone, you know, like, they, people deserve, you know, like I like second chances, I like third chances, like, as long as I feel safe with myself, I think it makes it a lot easier to feel safe with other people even when they're not always being the safest um so yeah so special shout out to my friend group and our friend group yes. and being in it together oh man our lovely queer folks <laughs> all o- spread out all over this damn country but you know we're gonna see some of them I'm so excited to get back in touch what a what a great what a great way to end this conversation. Happy Pride to everybody. <laughs> it's June. It's the start of the summer. Get out there and have some fun. Yes, we you know we are. All right, all right. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for talking to me. Yeah, thank you, Fenton. It was really, it was nice living with you yeah. for a, for a day. And we still have another thirteen hours or so, <laughs> <laughs> and then a whole lot of more time in Grinnell. So oh, yeah. we'll we'll continue this conversation off the mic. So yes, looking forward to that. All right, goodbye. <laughs>